0: Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we assemble to explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our sixth season, we are looking at The Avengers. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. I'm Pete Wright, and who is this Carrier walla, and how did they get this part? (laughs) Today we are talking about Minute 35, which begins with the bridge reveal and ends with Vanished gentlemen. Back on the show to close out the week, it's Will Freeland. Hello, Will. Hello, hello, hello. Happy Friday to you. Happy Friday. Uh, You know, this minute is uh, tech-wise, we get more bridge, but there is still some cool helicary stuff going on here, and I am here for it. It's going to be a fun one to talk about. So, how does this bridge, first off, for the two of you, how does this bridge hold up to other bridges we've seen in films? (laughs) (laughs) Do you (laughs) You have favorite bridges? a, A bridge tour, Yes. Favorite bridges. Favorite bridges. I I feel like, Pete, I asked this because I feel like it has to be a Star Trek bridge for you. Oh, man. Oh, that's a good bridge.
1: You know, the
2: the question is, which Star Trek bridge? Because there's the, (laughs) there's the Enterprise, there's the TNG era, like the first Enterprise, which I think is, is. It's got that sort of 70s RV vibe to it. Like if you if if like my (laughs) grandfather decided to like deck out his RV and cross the country, it would look like the TNG bridge. Uh Very like everything is flat and like exposed wood. And, (laughs) you know, it's all. It's all very TNG. For me, it's the J.J. Abrams uh, 2009 reboot bridge. I loved oh. that bridge uh. so, so very much. Um, and I also think the Discovery Bridge is, is quite good. I, I don't know. So, yeah, for me, I, like you say, bridge, and I go through the,
1: um, some of the Star Trek ships.
2: I'm trying to think of other, other bridges.
1: So, well, something novel about the Star Trek bridges is everyone has somewhere to sit. yeah. <laughs> Nick Fury and Maria Hill's consoles do not have seats.
0: No, it's like yeah. they are permanently meant to stand. But I mean, you know, Maybe this is like that modern era where it's like, you know, I have a standing desk. I don't
1: actually want yeah. to sit. They're like, just now rolling it out and they're starting to, to pop and moving down. Yeah, right. um, they're still right. taking notes. <laughs> I would say that if you will allow it, my go-to bridge as a child is the uh, original Megazord from Minor Morphin Power Rangers. Oh Oh my. Look at
0: you. All right. I don't know if I can even picture that one, but that's exciting that you took, that
1: you brought (laughs) that one in. I mean, just when the five Zords come together and they all gather up in the, in the chest, uh, right in the the middle there, they, they all have one large room that they sit in. Yeah, And it, it gets referenced like in every other power ranger parody type big mech thing. Yeah. Thing like Dexter's laboratory and, and such <laughs> like, yeah, that's so that would be, if that counts as a bridge, cause it's not, it's, it's managed by a team of five, not necessarily like all of your underlings. <laughs> um, yeah. Right. So if that doesn't count, then when I think of bridge, I think I think of space balls oh, yeah. and just because you just have sure. everyone in all of their seats with their giant tennis ball or ping pong ball helmets where <laughs> everything is just generic white and black.
2: Well, it which is the better bridge than the than all of than any of the Empire bridges, in, <laughs> you know, in, yeah. in Star Wars across time. I I struggle a little bit because some of the like when you think bridge, when I think of my favorite ships. My favorite ships are, like, you know, Cowboy Bebop and, um, and Mandalorian and Millennium Falcon uh-huh. and, yeah, uh, the Razor Crest. Um, but those, like, my favorite parts of those ships are not necessarily the under the canopy in which they actually fly the ship. And so mm-hmm. going back to, to just massive bridges... Like, this is, this is kind of a good one, right? Like, I yeah. like this one.
0: Well, and it's huge, and that's something I think that, like, I, I guess I'm not used to seeing with a lot of ship bridges, and maybe it's just because, well, even Star Trek, I mean, I would imagine that that ship if you put it next to this, it's probably still bigger than this, but I don't know. I don't have all my sense of scale, but still like to have as many people on a bridge as we have here. Like, I just feel like, you know, I feel like Star Trek is always thinking small. It's like, okay, well, we can get maybe 20 people on our bridge. Like, the <laughs> S.H.I.E.L.D. is like, we're going to get a 100 people in here. It's like this thing yeah, is huge. And
2: we're going to make it a conference area. Like, right, right. like we're going to have meetings here, too. You know, like this is, we're going crazy.
0: Yeah. It's it's pretty wild. I there are some design elements in here that I really like. You have these massive um struts that you see throughout the space and I think that um that was one of the things that they they included in here to give you that sense that this thing is hanging off the bottom, right? I mean, we're at the very bottom of the helicarrier right now, right? And it's kind of cool to see these struts, and you kind of get this sense of this the belly here, the, you know, that the belly of the beast, so to speak, that they're in. I love, I just love the sense of it and the scale and largely this was a set obviously there's a lot of areas that was just blue screened that they added later but um i mean the actors said how exciting it was to be on the set because it was just a big expansive set that they kind of put together
2: yeah the i'm looking at the and even the 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 nacelle of the enterprise d is 800 feet long the the uh helicarrier is 1400 feet long so the entire enterprise D is I'm I'm looking for the uh, why I why I found the nacelles first. Who says that? You, <laughs> like who asks for just that? That's like
0: saying like yeah the the length of your dog or you know it's like right. you know it's like well it's from his chest to his his butt or whatever. It's like well is <laughs> yeah, that where you're measuring? Like <laughs> nobody asks just that.
2: That's like yeah nobody asks just that. So um, it is uh, it's long. I'll get back to you. Okay. It's longer All than right. that.
0: So, all right, we get the space. Now, what I love about this moment, especially the fact that we're following Steve as he's following Natasha, is that this feels to me very much like a callback. I don't know if it was intentional or not, but it feels like one when Steve is following uh, Peggy into the lab in Captain America toward the beginning. And, and it's mm-hmm. another reveal as he kind of follows her in and comes in over the top of it and looks at this lab with Erskine down below. And again, you have a similar thing here. And I just love that hint of this character coming into a space that is so much more than what he's expecting at this point. And I, I like the way that that plays out here. Now, I do have a question, because as we see them walking in, we're following Steve. Natasha walks out of frame and disappears. (laughs) She completely disappears.
1: She's a super spy. All right. (laughs) If she doesn't want to be on the bridge, she can leave the bridge. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Well, we were talking, uh, you know, as before we record each minute, we watch it again, just to refresh our, our memories. And. As Pete pointed out, there's another uh, redheaded S.H.I.E.L.D. agent uh, working in here. And what I like to think is that Natasha is just so good that she has, you know, Mission Impossible style equipment where she can just change her appearance and suddenly she can just pose as somebody else very quickly as needed.
2: <laughs> it's really funny. She does. Like, I I don't think I've ever made that connection before. She really does disappear. And it, even as it comes back around to other places where other like Avengers are standing. We have the, the weird uh, pull-in on uh, Ruffalo standing in the corner looking shifty. Like, if anybody's up to no good on the bridge, it's going to be Ruffalo. All eyes on him. But we, she doesn't come back into the picture at all. She's not at the conference table. She's nowhere.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll tell you where she is, and because we'll see it in tomorrow's—or in, in the minute uh, 36, that when we talk about it next week. Mm-hmm. When you go to—she's actually— as we'll find out, she's actually kneeling down next to a console that's off screen right. When you get to about 25 seconds, as the camera is kind of panning around and we see all these people on this kind of lower level, right around 25 seconds, the camera's reached its um, its movement to the right as far as it's going to go before it swings back to go back to the left. She is just off frame right at that point. That's where she is looking at a computer. But again, and this is a um, a note that we have uh, discussed at several points throughout the uh, this season, it's interesting when we get these moments that are shot in a way where a character kind of disappears from frame, and I don't know if they notice that they disappear from frame until they get into the editing room, and they're like, oh, crap, we never got a shot showing that movement of her. Yeah. And they just have to rely on us, you know, as the puzzle pieces as we're watching the movie. Uh, that we see, oh, she's squatting by a computer, okay, that's where she had gone to, mm-hmm. and it's okay that we missed it, but when you're looking at it minute by minute it's it really stands out when you see <laughs> the character completely vanish in a very funny way. I don't know it makes me laugh when I watch it, but it's <laughs> filmmaking it's a it's a tricky thing. <laughs> we'll write it off as that, yeah, I do uh pete to your point, you mentioned Mark Ruffalo and. Mm-hmm. I, you know, we were talking about this when we saw him looking at the plane and he saw those security officers. This very much feels like a continuation of that with this character, where he sees authority figures and does not want to approach for fear of what could potentially happen.
2: So he's standing next to the giant doors like you think that's going to be, okay. I'm just going to be in a place where I can get out.
0: Well, I don't know. What's funny is he's standing by a giant shield logo and the two guys are guarding it. In no way does it look like a door, but it's 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 like stairs leading to the logo. And it's just it's funny that I don't know. I don't know why he walks over to that. I don't know why they're standing there. It's just funny construction that they have within the ship here. Yeah, Uh, it is what it is. Um, but I do really like uh Steve's reaction to the whole thing. As he walks around, he kind of is smiling and everything, and it feels like as a continuation to what he was saying before, it's like this actually feels kind of familiar. I like this sense of him here.
2: Yeah, like this is actually good. Like he's he's in a he likes he's looking he's in a military facility and it's cool. It's okay to be cool and you know, to see something as cool and be from
0: the nineteen forties. Mm -hmm. well i just i think it's an interesting note that we have with the way that steve is reacting to things versus the way that bruce is reacting to things i i kind of like that here
1: uh we also get uh shield uniforms
2: yes
0: shield uniforms yeah what do you think of all these because we're inside yeah what yeah right (laughs) because
2: we're inside
0: Yeah, they're they
2: Everybody, put your indoor clothes on. <laughs> Did you put your indoor clothes on before you came on this bridge?
0: <laughs> I want to see the room where they all get to change when they come in. Massive, massive locker room. It's like a great big kind of wet room. It's, but it's so funny because I love thinking about this now because like everyone who's up de- up top. They all like, they have to give themselves an extra like five minutes or so when they're going in or coming out because it's like, oh, I got to change into my indoor wear. Oh, I got to get back into my outdoor wear. One does not leave the interior of the helicarrier lightly. No, no. It's one of those things like, damn it, I left my cigarettes up there. Well, I (laughs) guess I've quit. (laughs) 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 Oh, man. Um, all right. So, Will, um, Maria Hill. What are your thoughts on Maria Hill? Uh, did you like her in the comics? Did you ever read the comic line with her character, her relationship with Fury? What, what's your thought?
1: Oh, man. Yeah, she's all over the place. Oh, geez. What is her name? Who's the actress's name? Kobe Smulders. Kobe Smulders. Yeah. So when she got uh, announced as Maria Hill, my initial reaction was she better cut her hair. Uh, because, because the Murray Hill in the comics just has really short hair. And that's like what easily, uh, like defines her in like a lineup because every brunette in the comics, um, in the comics has long wavy brown hair. And so like, I was like, she better cut her hair. She didn't. And it's whatever she has her hair up in a lot of the scenes. So fine. Cool. Moving on. Um, Maria Hill in the comics is a hard ass. She took over S.H.I.E.L.D. after Nick Fury Sr. went underground. And then she lost it to Tony and then took it back. And then she lost it again to Norman Osborne and then took it back. And like every single time it kind of, she's typically portrayed as like the by the books a hard soldier agent that doesn't trust the superheroes to do to act in the best interest of shield and therefore the best interest of the government and so she hates working with them and if there she is going to work with them it's got to be her way so she butts heads with them way more than like Nick Fury or any other head of shield ever did but I also kind of got the feeling that she was trying, it was like all for show in a sense of she was trying to live up to the legend that was Nick Fury Sr. And so she was like her own worst critic, always holding herself to a higher standard than she needed to, which led to her making, uh, strategic mistakes. Um, so on and so forth, as super spy agencies tend to do. I honestly, I don't feel like they ever really gave Maria Hill a chance, or still haven't given Maria Hill a chance until recently to be like a well thought out character beyond the like the brick wall that the heroes have to get around in order to finish their storyline. Mm-hmm. So having. Kobe smolders be cast as this character that in the comics is this hard ass i was like well okay we'll see how this goes but her portrayal here is much more fury's right hand man and it's very different than what we've gotten in the comics
0: have you seen the um the deleted scenes with her in her interrogation no Um, i would Love to get your thoughts because this film, the original open of this film is Maria Hill being interrogated by the World Security Council and uh having this conversation in a fairly antagonistic way about Fury and the choices he made, and she seems very upset about a lot of the stuff that went down. And over the course of the film, you would cut back to this. It takes place, I think, two days after the attack in New York. And so over the course of the film, you cut back to it, and it's kind of giving you this framing device of Maria Hill, pretty antagonistic with choices Fury made to involve the Avengers in all of this stuff. But in the end, the way that it shifts is she kind of comes to realize, you know, I think that he probably ended up making... It was probably decisions that needed to be made. It ended up saving the day. So it it gave her, as a character, it gave her an actual story arc as she kind of evolves in her thinking of Fury over the course of the film. Uh, But it also sets her character up because as it stands right now, we never get an introduction to her until, you know, you're partway into the attack when suddenly uh, Fury is calling her over the radio and he's Hill Hill. And that's the first time we ever even know who she is. And it's it's weirdly it, it becomes almost an afterthought of a character the way that she is now and so it's always interesting and and pete i i said we'll need to make sure every time we have the two of them on screen how does she seem with nick fury and the Mm. way that this scene plays do we sense that there's any antagonism with her toward fury at this particular point or does it just play fine any thoughts on the the way that we're watching her i mean it's not much other than saying yeah we don't we don't get a um, lot
2: yeah yeah i I feel like you know what we get she's a She's under him in the military, and she's responding that way. She's getting the helicarrier in the air. I don't feel like we get a whole lot of of range of emotion from her here. No. this is a tour. This is the tour of the spectacle. That's really what it is. It's
0: not. Yeah, you know, it's not designed to watch them antagonistic. It's designed to see. Let's take this thing off. Let's vanish, and that's really kind of what this scene is about, right? Yeah. it's it's a chance. I mean, for we're to-
2: inside Omnipus Max right now, which is my new. <laughs> Favorite code word for the hell here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Callback. <laughs> oh man, there
0: it is. There it is. Well, okay, so that's Maria Hill. That's her relationship with with Fury. Um, but yes, Will, I would say check out those deleted scenes if you get a chance. Yeah, I'd be curious what you think of how the film would have played if we had that built into the story a little more.
1: Absolutely. So that approach is. Much more like a comic book. They do that pretty often, actually. They're, we have like the like debrief interview of a character or of characters in the team, and it's interspersed with the flashback of the action of the story that they're doing. And I I wonder if that got cut because Whedon was like, ah, uh, that's too comic booky. Maybe we need to keep it more cinematic, like a Hollywood movie.
0: Maybe. Or, you know, we were like, is there a sense of this um, female character that audiences may not have been as familiar with? And so it just seemed weird to kind of start with this, where it's like, I don't know where the story is going or who this person is. Right. Or maybe they just needed to get things moving quicker. You know, it could have just been as simple as that.
1: Yeah, because I'm honestly, I'm not even... I don't think there is a Maria Hill in the Ultimate Universe. Oh, interesting! And I, I bring that up because so much of the MCU, especially Phase One, is influenced by Ultimate as opposed to like the Prime Universe. And I wonder if they, if that was part of the decision of like, well, downplay Maria Hill because she just doesn't have a role <laughs> in the Ultimates.
2: Here's an interesting thing: Maria Hill is a detective. Is that possible? In the ultimate un- in the ultimate version, Maria Hill's a homicide detective with the oh, NYPD. Sure, maybe. She in- investigates the deaths of Aaron Davis and Betty Brandt, which oh, leads her to figure out that Miles Morales is. Yeah, Spider-Man. I was gonna say
1: that's probably in like this phase two post yeah. ultimatum. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Post ultimatum, ultimate comics. When Ultimate Marvel became Ultimate Comics, mm-hmm. um it, it was a it, they killed off so many people in Ultimatum. It yeah. got it got weird, but yeah, so settling of old sense. debts. Right. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> mm. Okay.
0: Um. All right. Well, let's talk about uh this reflection panel tech that we have. So we've got the fantastic line. Once we know the ship is at level, where we have Nick Fury saying, "Let's vanish," which sounds like such a captain thing. I d- I don't know. I love just that little line. It's Samuel L. Jackson. So of course, it's just that much cooler. And this is the cue for this high-tech reflection panel equipment that they have here. Uh, okay, it's a fantasy movie, It's uh, but it's fantasy tech, and it plays kind of cool. It looks like there are, I don't know, when we see the underside of the ship, it looks like there are, I don't know, at least like a dozen little lights that appear, mm-hmm. like little bright lights, and I'm like, are those projectors? And I'm, I'm trying to gauge what they're trying to tell me as I watch this. Uh, do you think that those are meant to be like some sort of projector that is projecting onto the reflector panels from cameras on the top side of the ship as to what those are seeing? Is that where we're, like, the way those lights are playing? How do you two read this?
2: That's always been my sense of it, that those are... Those are projecting the sky above, and that's you, you know you see it all the time in people who are kind of inventing invisibility cloaks. Active camouflage tech uses this this kind of stuff that they're that they're working on, and this is just this feels to me like the ultimate vision of what it could do. Yeah, it doesn't I, it doesn't seem to address like thermal challenges of <laughs> these giant propellers. Like it, it is still giving off some sort of of reading in the sky, but. And nobody seems to care about it taking off when it seems most visible to everyone on boats that it seems like they would they would be aware that there's a giant thing lifting off out of the water. But great. Now that it's in the air and high enough, people might not be able to see it. They can't camouflage it. That's fine.
0: Well, and I, I question how do the windows and the propellers themselves, how do those get camouflaged? Uh, yeah. But you
1: know, again, Fast fantasy camera-res. tech, fantasy tech. Okay. Here, here's my attempt. Here's my oh, attempt. Oh, okay. awesome. 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 Uh, all of the outside surfaces and those panels have some sort of tech or substance on them, some sort of coding that, uh, those light sources activate in order to like, it's, those light sources are a very specific, um, energy signature or photonic wavelength that activates those surfaces in order to turn everything on. And so it's not that it's consistently projecting, it's that it's spending time activating those surfaces. And then if they ever took the, if we ever got to watch them take the panels off or turn them off, the same uh, light sources would be turning them off with some sort of like inverted signal or a different color.
2: I'll buy that for a dollar. Yeah. All right. Why not? <laughs> why not? That that one you you have me on. I'm I'm okay with activating services. <laughs> <It's> not... <laughs> I'll give you activating services.
0: Yeah, that's as
2: good as <laughs> mostly. Anything. It's it sounded great. So cool. Like it's really cool. It is a very cool and it's a cool effect and it's cool to watch it vanish. And I'm just I'm down for cool.
1: Yeah. As I'm like watching those panels like activate, I keep on, uh, wondering like, is this as far as it goes? Is this as far as it goes? Is this as far right. as it goes? Like, will you, when it's done, will you still see like a shimmer or like, yeah. is it going to disappear completely? Is it going to be like an eighties quote unquote stealth where it's like clearly still there, but it just, it's blue. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. And right, so right, it's, right. it's fun. I, I love how much they drag that out panel by panel as it just kept on, like, refreshing and getting more and more invisible to the point where it just completely disappears.
0: Well, and it it gets really close. And I I like, like, we don't quite get to see it here in this minute, but it's like, you can, it's it's pretty damn close. Like, it's kind of Mm -hmm. fun to see that last little bit of shimmer that we get before the end of this minute, so... Uh, it is, uh, it's very cool tech. I think, you know, thinking about uses of this sort of tech in film, I think one of my favorite uses is probably still Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Um, because you get to see it in action, and this is in the Russian building where Ethan Hawke like stretches it across the hallway and is, or is like moving behind it as he's going and it's resetting. But then when you get uh, Simon Pegg's face accidentally sticking in front of it. <laughs> It's just like this giant <laughs> face in the hallway. Like there's there are some great moments of comedy that they use with that one. So uh, did you say Ethan Hawk just now? Uh, Ethan Hunt. Ethan Hunt. Yeah. I, it's Hunt. Ethan I did Hunt. get a little delight out of imagining Ethan Hawk in that movie. That might have <laughs> yeah. been pretty good. That's Ethan Hawk as Ethan Hunt. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, my, right. my, as far as like movies are concerned, I feel like tomorrow never dies. It was a J there was a James Bond film that had this, that had the stealth car die another day, die another day, die another day. There you go. It had death in it. Um, <laughs> and he used it to kind of, to like, like, I just remember when the door opened and like the, the car is still stealth and then you just see the, uh, the interior of the car like just show up out of nowhere that always made me real excited that I really wanted a stealth car when I grew up. (laughs) It it hasn't happened yet.
0: It's a shame they had to then put in him surfing on the, the wave as it's getting melted in the ice. There are (laughs) things in that movie that, but yes, the car is pretty cool. I do like that car. Yeah. All right, I think that's pretty much it for this minute. We're at this point where we're no longer meeting the team. Now we're actually assembling the team. It's kind of fun to see things slowly coming into place here. I'm enjoying our uh, collecting of heroes. It's very fun. So, Will, I want to ask you before we wrap up today, um, were you reading a lot of the Avengers comics
1: specifically? Like, Did you read many of those Avengers comic lines? I mean... I I read every Marvel title that comes out for 616 um and 1610 um and uh so yeah I was I I I was reading a lot of Avengers uh around this time. So if you could assemble your own team of Avengers heroes, who would you put on it? Just any oh boy. <laughs> That's I don't know cuz like there've been some just honestly perfect as- assemblments. Um <laughs> uh, so Jason Aaron's run on on Avengers is kind of controversial in terms of some of the stories he's been telling and in terms of like uh Phoenix being declared as like Thor's mom and um this that and the other kind of random stuff and Doing some real weird things, but uh, the his roster is really interesting to me. Like, uh, their official leader is T'Challa Black Panther, uh, but you still have your classic three of Iron Man, Cap, and Thor are members, but then you have your powerhouses like, um, uh, like Captain Marvel on the team. They also have Blade. On the team and he has this thing that he calls kid thing. It's like the head of man thing on his shoulder and it produces wooden spikes for him as he needs them when he fights Dracula and the vampires. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> and that's been really fun. And then they also have, uh, Robbie Reyes, uh, ghostwriter, um, on the team and he has been like, he's finally kind of gotten the chance to really shine um they get real flexible with what is considered a vehicle for him to pilot like he he activated he piloted a um dead celestial holy cow wow (laughs) yeah that was in the first (laughs) storyline in the first like five issues (laughs) oh my Um, god that's awesome yeah and then you get like star brand and uh namor ends up joining way later and uh valkyrie jane foster and like that team just has been a lot of fun and I've been having a lot of fun. I'm I've become a big Jason Aaron fan. And so like what he's doing with addressing the idea of what the Avengers are and what they represent conceptually has been really interesting for me. And then, but then there's like this, like the fun ones, like Avengers idea mechanics, (laughs) uh, where, uh, Sunspot bought aim, and then created his own avengers team with with uh that's backed by um aim Island in that same storyline you got american kaiju uh which is Godzilla with a giant American flag tattooed on his chest but <laughs> <Well, laughs> um I don't know, there's there's just been a lot of fun, but I honestly I think Jason Aaron's Avengers has been the biggest standout for me, even though it doesn't have Spider-Man. The new Avengers had Spider-Man on it and Spider-Man's my boy, but Jason Aaron's Avengers I think would be my answer.
0: That's awesome. Since you've been talking about it, I got completely sucked into this whole concept of Blade with kid thing on it, and I just i am looking at an image of that now, and it just makes me laugh that that was—it's adorable. It's—it's it's, it's almost like a weird like Groot thing that he's like wearing yeah. on his back, and you got the yeah. little head like poking out over his yep. shoulder. It just is
1: so—just the glowing red eyes, just chilling. Uh, It cracks me up. Cracks me up to know He honestly, it looked like Kid Thing looks like he would grow up to be the man thing that we got in Werewolf by Night on Disney+. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly (laughs) what he looks like. So true. They're just both so, like, childish. It's adorable. (laughs) Yeah,
0: that's right. Well, this has been a a fantastic few days talking with you about uh, the movie, Will. Thank you so much again for joining us here on
1: the show. Thank you for having me. I love... Just geeking out about Marvel stuff. And it's, it's, I feel so lucky that I've been able to get introduced to you guys and doing this whole Marvel movie minute thing is just so much fun.
0: Such a treat. Oh, well, we are uh, so uh, glad to have you. Thank you so much uh, with all of your wisdom. And you know so much more about all these things in the comics than we do. So it's just, it's great getting your perspective on all of this. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, tell everybody again about uh your stuff and where they can track you down out there.
1: Uh yeah, find me on Twitch, uh Silver Dreamer Silver the Y. Um I stream on Wednesdays and Fridays and Sundays. Uh hobby streamer there. I like to build uh Lego and and model kits. And uh we talk a lot about Marvel. We read Marvel comics on Sundays. Um also have a by the time this comes out, you could all just Find this all on silverdreamer.com. I just haven't gone live with it yet. Uh, nice. at okay, the time great. of recording, but um, uh, also, I have a podcast, uh, Hype is My Superpower. Um, if you like me going on random tangents about uh, stuff in the Marvel Universe, uh, like the existence of personalities that are the seven. Uh, multiverses and what they represent and, and stuff like that, uh, go and check out the podcast.
2: <laughs> I'll take it, man. Yep. I'm going to do, we'll just, uh, we'll all settle down. We might take an edible here or there and just listen to you go crazy.
1: Oh man. It's so <laughs> much fun.
0: <laughs> uh, well, it has been so much fun. Thank you again. Uh, we will be back next week to talk, um, more about our team that is assembling It's going to be fun. So, Pete, thanks as always. Andy,
1: next week, he loses a (laughs) bet. Cap loses a bet. Can you believe it?
0: Until next time, true believers.